Well, good morning, church family. How y'all doing? Awesome. Hey, like Stephen said, my name is Eric Northrup, and I am just honored and humbled to be able to share what I believe is the greatest message in all of history. And to start, let's read God's word. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to start in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. It says this, Paul is talking. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received, in which you now stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received myself, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Well, church, this morning on Easter, we're going to unpack this glorious gospel message This message that Paul says is of first importance. And there are many things that we can talk up here, especially over the last year. There's many things that we can debate or focus on. But none of those things, not one, have the power to save like the glorious message of Jesus Christ our Lord. For this Easter message that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day is the most life-altering event in all of human history. Because of the ramifications of what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago, it directly affects your past, your present, and your future. Maybe you're here today and you haven't stepped in a church in years. Maybe this is the first time you've stepped in church. And I just want to say, we are so glad that you are here. This is a safe place for you to ask questions, to seek answers, and get those answered. Maybe you're here and you have been to church multiple times, but there's always been this disconnect with the message in your own heart. You hear it, but it just doesn't sink in. And I just want to say, that's actually really common. There's a lot of people that have that experience. And my hope and my prayer for you today is that uh, the message that you hear today would be a fresh and new perspective of God's love for you. And then there are many that are here today that are believers. They call themselves Christians who believe in the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope today would be a time where you can celebrate, where you can worship, where you can continue to solidify these gospel truths in your own heart. And so let's get started. Truth number one is that Christ died for your sins in accordance with the scriptures, which begs the question... Why did Christ have to die for our sins? Well, to be able to answer that, we have to go back and understand, or at least provide some context of how God related to the Israelites in the Old Testament. See, the Israelites were God's chosen people in which God entered into a covenant with Israel on Mount Sinai. A covenant is an oath-bound promise whereby one party solemnly pledges to bless or serve another party in some specified way. 
This covenant with the Israelites signified God's faithfulness, his protection, his kingship, the special relationship where he will be their God and they will be his people. And this covenantal love between God and the Israelites was a way for the surrounding nations come to know who God is by the way he provided, by the way he delivered the Israelites out of danger. All were supposed to see and praise God's name, Yahweh. For God takes great delight in delivering his people. But this promise, this covenant, was conditional. It was based on Israel's obedience to God's law, known as the Ten Commandments, and that is found in Exodus 20. Tragically, over and over again, we see Israel break the covenant by breaking the law as they pursued and trusted in other gods instead of their God. This is what the Bible calls sin, and sin separates us from a holy God. It is in God's holiness and his righteousness that demands blood, yes, a sinless life, to be shed as a consequence of sin. Romans 6, 23 It's very popular. Maybe you've heard it before. It says, for the wages of sin is death. This is not in your outline, but turn to Leviticus 17, 11. Leviticus 17, 11. It says this, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. All right, there's a big word there. It's atonement, right? Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you haven't. Naturally, I think when we think of atonement, we think of forgiveness. That's just one part of it. Atonement is so much deeper than that. See, forgiveness restores a broken relationship, all right? But with forgiveness to happen, there has to be something to atone for the sins or atone for the price uh, or the cost that happened, right? Forgiveness, there has to be something to cover it, okay? So atonement with sin is where people would bring their animals and God would, would slay the animals, the priest would slay the animals, and the blood would cover or wash over the offense committed. It would wash over the sins, and it was sprinkled on the altar, and atonement would be accomplished. And then when that's accomplished, forgiveness with the people would happen, right? And it restores that relationship. But there has to be something that covered the sins, So in the Jewish culture, right, there was a sacrificial system in which people and families would bring their animals to the priests for the forgiveness of sins, for atonement. And I have a a visual for you to help illustrate this point. You guys can come on out. This is Gracie right here, and this is Missy. And Gracie... I got her at Pet Supplies, by the way. Just kidding. (laughs) Gracie is eight weeks old. 
And from birth, Gracie has been bottle-fed by their family, right? They have raised Gracie. They have groomed Gracie. Uh, Missy has told me that Gracie considers people her flock, all right? This is more like a pet to their family. And so back in that day, they would bring this animal. It's all right, Gracie. They would bring this animal, and they would take it to the priests. And the priests would lay his hands. Can we get this on the screen? The priest would lay his hands on the lamb's head and confess the sins of the people or the family. All right? And the laying of the hands was symbolic of the transferring of sin from the people to the lamb. Now the lamb that's now with the sin, they would slay the animal and they would pour the blood on the altar and atonement was accomplished. And then those people went without the lamb back home and they were forgiven. They had a right relationship with God. And this would happen year after year, hundreds, thousands of animals that people would bring because they needed forgiveness, because they kept on going to their own sin, their own idols. Don't worry, guys. We're not going to do that here today. (laughs) Promise. And here's why. Because you and I, we have something so much greater. We have something so much better. And it's Jesus. John 1.29, John the Baptist is preaching. And he says, he sees Jesus is coming. He says, behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God. And you need to know this and understand it, that this Jesus was not... From man, yes, he was born of man, but he came from God. It was God's precious, pure, and spotless lamb. He provided himself for the sins of the people. Not a family bringing a lamb. God provided the lamb. Jesus knew no sin. He was blameless. Can you picture with me God laying his hand on Jesus and confessing Every impure thought, every act of disobedience, every act of rebellion, every intentional and unintentional sin that you have committed in your past and your present and your future, and not just you, but the sins of the world on Jesus. That's why on that cross, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he experienced this moment, the separation, where he became a sin sacrifice on your behalf when he took on sin upon that cross. See this lamb right here? This lamb has no idea what's going on. No idea. Jesus knew full well what the cost was, and he was willing to pay the price on your behalf. Thank you so much. Thank you. Let's give it up for them. But let me go deeper into what it was like for God. Imagine that lamb wasn't an animal. Imagine it was your son or daughter. If you don't have a a child, imagine it was you. I would like to invite my sweet daughter, Sarah, up. Come on, girl. 
Hey, baby girl, how are you doing? Come right here. Hi. You look so pretty. Here, I'm going to face you this way, okay, so everyone can see you. I like this dress. <laughs> this is my daughter, Sarah. Sarah is one of the joys of my life. That's why her middle name is Joy. Some of you may know, most of you don't. But my wife and I, we struggled with infertility for about five years. We had three miscarriages. There was pain. There was hurt. There was loss. There were scars. We were so confused on why we were going through this. And then the Lord graciously gave us this girl. Sarah is so kind, so sweet. She and her dad, we love to go hiking. We love to go on treasure hunts and find the gold coins. We love to, she loves to take dragon rides, but dad's knees hurt, so we got to take a pause for that. She's so creative. She loves to build things with her hands. She's so smart. It's, I love seeing her imagination. Sarah and I uh, are trying to convince mommy that we need a puppy. <laughs> right? Sarah just got this big girl bed, and now daddy can fit in it. Uh, and she loves to cuddle, and she gives the best hugs. And Sarah, can you look at daddy real quick? I just want to say this. I am so proud of you, and I love you so much. I'm so thankful to be your dad. Can I have a hug? I love you. Oh, let's give it up for Sarah. Oh, go that way, go that way. There's a step here. Yep, go that way, babe. Awesome. She knows about the hidden ramp. She's a pastor's kid. Guys, as a pastor, my heart's desire is to love everyone that enters in these doors, everyone that's part of uh, this campus. But you would be out of your mind, downright crazy, if you think that I would give my daughter up for you. It's not going to happen. I'm just being real with you. My my job as a dad is to protect her, to love her, to engage her heart, to pursue it, to go on these adventures, and Lord willing to, to help her come to know the Father's love for her, not her earthly father, but her heavenly father. I would like to think that I would do anything for my family. I am just a man. I'm a sinner. I am not God. But you know what the good news is? That God is not like me. And that God is not like us. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 55. in verse 8. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. This is God talking. It says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens 
are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, guys, are his ways and his thoughts. Go back two chapters to Isaiah 53. We're going to start in verse 3. Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned our own way. And the Lord has laid upon himself the iniquity or sin of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb. There's that lamb. That is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that, that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Go to verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Maybe you missed that. So I'm going to read that again. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Jesus God's one and only son. It was the will of the Lord to crush his one and only son for you. And please know, I'm not trying to play with your emotions. I'm not trying to manipulate you. But as I was preparing this sermon, immersing myself in the scriptures, this was the closest glimpse of what God the Father was experiencing when he sacrificed and gave his son on that cross. Right here. This is just a glimpse. Imagine God, his one and only son, whom he loves, given on your behalf. And you know what's crazy to me? is that God knew that not everyone would accept his free gift. That people would reject it or people would say that it's fake, it's not real. Jesus is just a good man. And God's like, what? What are you talking about? How in the world can you say that I don't love you? I've given you everything I have. There's nothing on this earth that even compares to my one and only son. And I am pleased by him. And it was his will to send him to that rugged cross where he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might experience atonement. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that we deserved, that was reserved for us, the wrath 
was poured out on him. All of it. And by his wounds, we are healed. But Jesus dying on the cross for you and for me, that was Friday. What day is it, church? Oh, that was weak. Uh, What day is it, church? One more for pet supplies. What day is it? He is risen. Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, Sunday, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Jesus Christ, buried, has risen on the third day. And he appeared to Cephas, to the twelve, to over 500 brothers at one time. He's alive. And he lives forevermore, reigning and ruling at the right hand of God interceding for you and for me. Jesus, our great conqueror, has defeated death and has secured our place in heaven for those who put their faith in him. You have to believe in the resurrection if you're going to believe in Jesus. Because it's important for you to know without the resurrection, we have nothing. We are to be pitied more than anyone else, for we have a false religion. It's a false gospel that I'm preaching, that I'm giving my life, that you may be giving your life for. If there's no resurrection, you got nothing. Your sin condemns you. Death is imminent. Hell is your eternal destiny. But with the resurrection, your sin is forgiven. Death has been defeated and heaven is your eternal destiny. I want to give you guys some reasons and some evidence on why the resurrection is true. First, is the word of God is true. Psalm 119 is my, one of my favorite psalms. It's 176 verses all about the word of God. Verse 89 says this, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It will not falter. All four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all testify and speak of the resurrection. We see that in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20. Jesus himself, we have it recorded that he even foretells of his death and resurrection. Not just once, but multiple times to the people around him. And the disciples, it just went over their, their head all, the whole time, right? It's like, hey, what does he mean by that? It seems like he's being cryptic, right? Destroy that temple and I'll raise it again on the third day. Well, we spent years building this temple, Jesus. What are you talking about? He's talking about himself. Paul's writings and revelation, they all build their theology on the risen, resurrected Savior, Jesus. 
Without it, we have nothing. Which brings me to my next point. The second evidence of why you can believe in the resurrection is that there were hundreds, hundreds of eyewitnesses. When Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to seven different people groups, right? We see the woman at the tomb. We see he appeared to Cephas, Peter. He appeared to the rest of the disciples while they're in their upper room, right? Thomas put his his fingers in Jesus' scars. We see that Jesus appeared to 500 brothers at one time. Not just throughout, but at one time. It's like if Jesus came up here, you guys all saw with your own eyes. You can't just make things up. There's too many people to say, hey, no, we saw him. This is real. 500 at one time. He appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He appeared to James, the Lord's brother. And lastly, he appeared to the Apostle Paul. We have that in Acts 9. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 8, Paul talks about that experience. Nowadays, we have cameras for everything. They're everywhere. We have cameras for our homes. Police have body cameras. We have a a camera in our pocket. I would dare to say that 99% of everyone in this room has a camera in their pocket. They're everywhere. And more and more, we're seeing events and scenarios play out in our world in which people are recording these events. And this has become the strongest evidence on what actually took place, all right? Because it allows the person viewing the footage to get that perspective of what actually happened, whether it's for someone or whether it's against, right? And so we don't just take someone's word on it. We have evidence. Guys, back then, They didn't have cameras. They didn't have cameras. With any case brought to a judge, the strongest evidence always were eyewitnesses because they saw and they experienced it. And what's even stronger is if you have multiple eyewitnesses because then you can hear a story over here and then you can compare it with this person's story and then this person's story. And then you can hear all these perspectives and you can form your own narrative of what actually happened. Jesus appeared to over 500 people and they were all congruent. They all said, Jesus has risen. I don't know how to explain it, but he's alive. He's alive. Which brings me to my next point. The apostles' lives were radically changed. They were radically changed. Before the resurrection, the apostles were scared. They were disheartened. They feared their life. Judas committed suicide. They were devastated and they hid in the upper room because they didn't know what was going to happen next, right? They just took Jesus to the cross. We were his guys. Are they going to come for us too? After the resurrection, the apostles, including Paul, preached. They testified. They taught the gospel with power and authority, with confidence, Right? They received the Holy Spirit, God himself, in their very own hearts. And they saw miracles happen before their very eyes. Miracles in them and through them. 
They saw thousands of people on multiple occasions go from death to life. They couldn't explain this except that Jesus has risen. He's alive and this is his doing. He is God. He's our savior. They were beaten. They were tortured. They were put in prisons. They were martyred for their faith. All the while proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you. There's no way I would risk my life if I wasn't absolutely certain that what I was giving my life to was real. There's no way. Not even if it's just 1%. No, they had full assurance and it cost them their life because they knew death was not the end. Which brings me to my last point of why you can believe in the resurrection. is because lives continue to be changed today. And the kingdom of God continues to grow. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, which means you put your faith in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I have seen with my eyes people go from death to life. And I can't explain it. I'm not hallucinating. Literally, they were a heart of stone and now they have a heart of flesh. They were enemies of God and now they're praising our Lord and Savior. I can't do that. I don't have that power. Only God can do that. Only God can save and change us from the inside out. I've seen marriages that have no hope whatsoever. Sin upon sin upon sin has defined them. And yet, they decided to put their faith in the Lord Jesus. And both individuals were able to give this grace, this love, this forgiveness. Because they realized they have been forgiven. So they can love because God loves them. And now there's hope. There's hope in their marriage, and it's because of the resurrection. I've seen people in the gravest of all circumstances, right, at their deathbed, have this serene peace, this peace that surpasses all understanding because their souls are right with God. They know without a doubt that they're forgiven. And not only is it this peace, it's actually they have joy. It's like, what? You're dying. And yet you have joy? How do you explain that? Because they're not living for this world. They're living for heaven. They know that they're going to see God face to face that these fragile bodies are going to get a new body, that they're going to see Jesus. They're going to be with him. There will be no more sin, no more tears, no more evil. It will be redeemed. So they have this joy. And then I want to say, I myself have become a new creation. I have been redeemed within my heart 
I know it without a doubt. It was a sophomore, I was a summer of my sophomore year in high school, right? I was actually just alone in the house. My parents were working. I was open up the Bible and I didn't know much about the Bible, but I turned to Proverbs out of all things, Proverbs. And I remember reading the word of God and then the, the spirit just came over me. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been searching for my whole life. This is life and life to the full. I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but this is what I, I need to live for. And so I asked Jesus into my heart that summer day. And the Lord saved me. You know how I know? Because I ended up grabbing my cat. And I ran around the house. And I danced. And I shouted with praise of God. He saved me. Guys, I don't dance. Like literally, I don't dance. And I was dancing with joy with my cat. Spooky, I'm saved. You guys, that's my cat's name. First service didn't get that. (laughs) But I experienced this joy within. And the best way to describe it is actually 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9. 1, 8 through 9. Let me read it for you guys. It says this. Though... You have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And that's what was happening within me. I I couldn't explain it, but I was experiencing this inexpressible and glorious joy. And I said, Obtaining the outcome of my faith, salvation. So what about you? Where do you stand with God? Let me read another quick passage. This is actually from Jesus himself. It's John eleven twenty five through 26. It says this, And Jesus says, I'm going to make it personal to you. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's Jesus' words, not mine. Do you Believe it. Do you believe in the, desert, the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Do you believe it was the Father's love that sent his Son to die for you so that you may be set free and forgiven? Is your name written in the book of life? You too can be a new creation. You too can experience this peace and this joy knowing that you are forgiven and that you have a future. I'm not going to try to embarrass anyone and say, hey, come on up and just proclaim it. I care more about you and your relationship with God. And so I'm going to take some time and I'm going to pray. 
If you want to identify as a believer, if you want to accept this free gift for you, pray this simple prayer with me, okay? And those that are believers, just respond in faith as well. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you that it's this heavenly love for us that you would give your precious son, the pure and spotless lamb to die for us so that we could be made right with you. Lord, here and now, we just want to be real with where we're at. We confess our sin and all the things, all the lies that we believe as we search this world to fill our hearts and not you. We confess it, the things we're ashamed of. And Lord, we also believe that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that all of our sin, our past, present, and future has been placed on Jesus. He died for us and that he rose on the third day. Lord, we want to accept you into our lives. We don't fully even know what this looks like.